Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD. I'm Eamon Clark, and a welcome return from the hallowed halls of Space Spinner 2000, it's Conrad Lydon. Back again, Conrad. Borek Dong, Eamon, it's great, it's, it's great to be here, absolutely. It's always a great time to come flying into uh, in, into the book club, my, my, my air horn's all ablaze. Fantastic, yes. <laughs> I love those air horns. So, Conrad, we've had Invasion, we've had Shaco. Recent 2000 AD acquisitions, anything new uh, on the shelves of the Space Spinner 2000 uh, Secret Laboratory? I've been slowly adding to my collection of uh, of specials and annuals, which, we've, which, which I've covered on the show. And I think um, for me and in, in my budget level of shelf space are, are, are my best way of collecting um, old 2000 ADs. But I think right now my the new thing I have in, in pride of place is an issue of uh, of 2000 ID Prog 227, which features some amazing uh, Nemesis, the Warlock, and Strontium Dog stories. It's got the immortal gaze into the fist of dread section, or yeah, dread section of uh, the four dark judges. A perfectly serviceable Mean Arena story, and the final ish and the final episode of Meltdown Man. Fantastic. Yeah. With, with signings from, uh, from luminaries, Alan Hebden, Steve McManus, and, uh, Dave Wagner, given to me by a certain gentleman by the name of Avon Clark, which I appreciate so much. So you're very welcome. That was at Lawless Convention here in the UK in May. And Alan Hebden, Steve McManus were sharing a table. John Wagner, as you say, was there. And uh, I just thought, yeah, I'll get that cover for you and get him to sign it. So I got the pro and got them to sign it and sent it over. And as you say, it's, you know, you, you dip inside and there is the gaze into the Fist of Dread page as well. Yes, and uh, and some amazing Kev O'Neill stuff with, uh, with with purity running through the, uh, the 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 halls of Necropolis and uh, in Nemesis. It's it's an amazing story. It actually, um, I I looked back on it on an upcoming episode of Space Spitter um, in um, in Purity's story with with art by David Roach because it it brings back a lot of the elements from that story of of purity running through. Like the halls of, uh, of, of termite with like special gloves and boots with built in roller skates and things like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I remember that. Fantastic. So that's what you've had sent you across the pond, the little sort of uh, prog present from here in the UK in a UK convention. Absolutely. I know you don't get to see many of the sort of uh, the prog creators over there. Um, they don't get across to many conventions, unfortunately. Yes. So, you've mentioned it already. Tell us. It's your third time on the book club. What is the book that we're covering today? Ah, there's no choice. Get me off this crazy planet. It's Meltdown Man! Fantastic. Another one of the early hits from the prog. So, let's see. It ran in progs 178 to 227 from 1980 to 1981. Let's do version control. I'm looking at the Hachette Collection hardback. Um, with a Cliff Robertson cover that appeared on 2000 AD Extreme Edition 12. But I think I've also got the digital version. Which which version have you got, Conrad? So I have a physical version of the digital version you have with the cover by, by Dave Gibbons. 
Ah, right. So that's the Rebellion trade for paperback version, which uh, we'll get into that cover in just a moment. Yes. And then I also have uh, physical copies of the Extreme of Extreme Edition 11 and 12, which are actually really nice. Oh, right. And they've both got Cliff Robinson covers, haven't they? Yes. Yeah. And they're and they're slightly larger in size than the uh, than the graphic novel version. So they're they're just about prog size. So you get a real sense of what this of of what the artwork would would have looked like originally in the uh, in the progs that our readers had. Okay, fantastic. So we've mentioned Alan Hebden writing uh, art by Massimo Bellardinelli. You're going to be talking about him a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Lettered by Jack Potter. Editor yes. Steve McManus, and I believe this is, if not the, certainly one of one of the longest running single stories um, in 2000 AD history because it's 50 straight progs, isn't it? Yeah, it's certainly the longest, or I believe it's the longest with, um, especially the same artist writer combo. I'm, I'm sure there might have been stories, like even if stories lasted longer, just the idea that it's just Hebden and Bellardinelli doing this whole thing. In the course of, yeah, almost a full year is is pretty amazing. Excellent stuff. So tell us, before we get into the details of the plot, um, what is it particularly about this one that made you to choose it for the book club? Um, I think actually part of it is just that sort of achievement is that this is just such a long running story. I remember when we talked about in Space Spinner was such a... uh, it's such a constant in that sort of 80 to 81 era. No matter what was happening, you you always came back to Meltdown, man. It was this big story that was constantly going on, always having new elements, new things happening. Um, and I think it's, it's to me, it's the, um, it's like, it's 2000 AD's uh, first real epic quest, I guess, like, like a fantasy quest almost. It's got a, it's got a map like, like a fantasy novel. It's got all these uh, different characters that like split up and come back together. I really l- j- just love the, the, the writing and, and how the characters sort of advance and grow and have conflicts with each other. And then the better, Bellardinelli art is just so amazing, just constantly throughout the whole thing. Yeah, fantastic. And it does have that lovely double-page spread somewhere early on of the map, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, as, uh, as he pours over it and figures out where he is and what's going on. So tell us briefly, what's the sort of basic setup of Meltdown Man and whether yes. there is a man who actually <laughs> does the deed? So Okay, so Nick Stone, one-eyed SAS commando. He runs afoul of some Middle Eastern terrorists who turn out that instead of a conventional bomb that he can uh, disarm, he's got th- – they've got a nuke. Oh, and it's going to explode in fi- – it's going to explode in five minutes. But even if he ran for an hour, he'd still be destroyed. I guess I might as well stay put. Yeah, enjoy being the world's first meltdown, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's a first page. <laughs> It's just the, the the first page is just the laying out of this scenario in panels that are all around a giant mushroom cloud from this explosion. Yeah, it's great. And, th- and so and so then this nuke se- seemingly catapults Nick Stone to an alternate reality where hu- where humanity has become a small overclass ruling a, uh, a a vast population of human animal hybrids called Yugis. Which are generally uh, 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 part man, part animal things. A lot of like uh, minotaurs and wolf men and, uh, and and cat ladies and things of that nature. 
and he will go on a quest that could lead to freedom for them all or death at the hands of the uh, villainous Lee Shar and his henchman Tiger Commander. <laughs> yes, fantastic. Yes, the villainous Lee Shar Tiger Commander is a great character. There's a hypnotic snake called Seth. There's a you know a um, a rather attractive cat lady Liana, I think. Yes, there's there's psychic psychic eagles. Yes. There's a a lion resistance leader whose name changes several times throughout the story. It's excellent times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's um let's deal with some of the sort of issues around Meltdown, man. I'm not gonna, uh, you know, I don't think we're gonna recap the whole story because um I believe there's a podcast available that does that. I think is that right, Conrad? <laughs> oh, indeed. Uh, there actually should be a, a space spinner collection coming out around the same time as this episode that should have a com- complete Meltdown Man coverage. <laughs> Perfect companion to this episode. Let's start with the title itself, because this itself, uh, Meltdown Man, was the source of some uh, disagreement and controversy, I think. Yeah, in uh, in, in, in The Mighty One, uh, his his autobiography, Steve McManus, says that uh, Alan Hedman wanted to call it Yuji, which is after the, uh, a- after the animal men in the, in the story. But M- McManus said Meltdown Man instead. And when they were at Lawless this year, I've got a 2018 notebook that I'm getting people to sign, uh, various creators to sign. It'll be for a charity auction come Christmas time. Oh, nice. Or a raffle, possibly. And what I've been getting them to do is to just sort of like sign and do like a speech bubble or a thought bubble. And I've been giving them various sort of catchphrases or uh, words from their their sort of most famous stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like uh, John Wagner obviously gets to write Drock or something like that. <laughs> and I said to Alan Hebden, perhaps you could write Meltdown. And he said, no, I don't want to write that. I didn't like that title. I'm going to write, <laughs> I'm going to write Yuji. And he was sitting right next to Steve McManus. And he said, that was his idea. I never liked it. That's amazing. I I, I love that it's still simmering like 40 years later. That's excellent. Yes, I know. (laughs) So there we are. Alan wanted to call it Yuji, but it becomes Meltdown Man because Steve McManus is the editor and uh, he gets the the title. And of course, that leads to, I suppose, a running bone of contention in a way because um, readers were reading this wondering when the man was going to melt. Yeah, it's a uh, um it's definitely a uh, a constant thing. Um I I I I feel like on Space Spinner I might have misrepresented that there were constant letters. There there's definitely one. I I wrote it down and it's in Prague uh, 189. Uh the Reader Lee Dawson writes, could you tell me and the other readers if the meltdown man will ever melt down? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in, in response, uh, uh, Tharg said, uh, no worthlet. Can you tell me if you are ever likely to disintegrate? Which is just a blatant obfuscation on his part. Like, you got to answer that question. This guy's not melting, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know. I think in one of possibly Alan Hebden's introduction to the rebellion trade, he mentions that, you know, readers were coming on board perhaps a bit late after the first few issues. Um, and not understanding the setup of how Nick Stone SAS had ended up on this alternative uh, uh, weird world, this this Earth gone crazy or this world gone crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a hard problem with uh, with 2000 AD in general, and I and I think it's a pro- probably why they don't have why these sorts of uh, of year long strips aren't as aren't that common because you have to be. It's the, it's it, it's always a concept with comics that that every every comic is potentially someone's first. 
And with really complicated stories, it's hard to jump people in. And I feel like that, that could be a challenge. Like it's, it's so easy with these trays to just see Meltdown Man as one long giant story, but imagining it as, um, 50 individual bites of a story can be, can make it seem daunting to, to, to come in in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, we've mentioned some cover images because... So you've mentioned Extreme Edition 11 and 12 with... uh, And I think they're somewhere around 2005 they come out, I think. I believe that's right. And they've got these wonderful Cliff Robinson covers. But then Dave Gibbons, of course, he did... Now, I thought it was a star scan, but I think it was called the Future Graph in that particular prog. Prog 211... He does this, this, this image of Nick Stone and Liana, which forms the cover of the Rebellion copy. And I believe you have thoughts about this particular cover. Well, I, I don't like it, <laughs> i got to say. <laughs> I, m- mostly because, especially in that era, I just don't like that. It's by, like, I, you know, Dave Gibbons is great. I'm not saying that. Um, but Meltdown Man's so closely linked to Bell Arginelli. I mean, he wrote, he drew 50 issues of it. In that era, they had Bell Arginelli. I, I wish they'd gotten him to do this, this, this pinup and then that, that, that he'd have the cover. Just because that seems like it, you know, because that's what you're selling when you're getting the book. I think if you see, you know, even just from a marketing standpoint, I guess, like having Gibbons on the cover isn't advertising what's going to be inside it. And I just love, uh, and, and I just love a chance for Bella Rinelli just to have a, have the opportunity to have a big canvas, just draw one big definitive meltdown man, uh, uh, a pinup. That would have been really great. Yes. I mean, you know, as you say, one of the sort of, selling points of meltdown man is it's a single writer and artist um for a year-long story that makes up a whole trade and i guess unfortunately there's perhaps they just didn't have a single bellardinelli image that they could use as the cover for either of these editions you know the rebellion one or the hachette one yeah they've got they've both gone for other artists um it does seem a shame as you say because it is one of the major selling points is bellardinelli's wonderful art which we're going to talk about in a moment I guess the David Gibbons, the Dave Gibbons one was recolored for the Rebellion trade by Luke Priest, and I think it was the 1977 to 2008 Facebook group where somebody called Anthony Lee recently recolored it as well. I don't know if you saw that image. I did. It's excellent. I love um, I love recolorings. It's always an interesting chance to see new, new, new takes on these characters and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so there's some of the controversies around Meltdown Man, including the fact <laughs> that the man himself may not, in fact, actually. <laughs> mm, I mean, I don't know if you're, for the record, I don't think a, a nuclear explosion means you're actually melting down. I mean, that's more of like a, uh, like, like, an, like what happens to a, to a plant when there's a problem and, you know, a, a Chernobyl kind of situation. Well, yes, of course, this is the year of the Chernobyl TV series. So, yeah, we're all yeah. Uh, sort of grimly familiar with that now. Yes, that's a much. And, and Nixon isn't the first person to die an atomic explosion either i'm just saying like there's you know there should be like a whole lot of other people in in uh in the world of meltdown man as well that just sort of showed up one day grimly enough i suppose so we've got this fantastic alternate reality where they've got uh the ugs these eugenically altered sort of half uh half human half creature uh, creatures um, all running around having their own personalities their own characteristics and uh, interacting with Nick Stone all the time and mm-hmm. we've got as you say this huge epic quest that Stone is on 
to liberate the UGs, to overthrow the sort of uh, diabolic rule of Lee Shah yes. and you know, <laughs> basically enslaving the UGs. Um, Alan Hebden, now, you know, we've had him on the podcast from some of his war strips, Major Easy and El Mestizo from um, Battle Picture Weekly. Um so, but this is like the first time I think we discussed him in the 2008. Actually, in the pages of the prog. Um, yeah, I'd say this is this is his great work in uh, in in 2008 for Alan Hebden. I think he's done he's done several sort of small things. He's a big future shot guy. I always think of him in 2000 in 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 2008, and he's done one or two smaller things. But um, this one's really his like magnum opus. I feel like in a uh, in in the prog. Yes, I noticed. Last night when I was flicking through the digital edition on my iPad, uh, as opposed to the Hachette hard copy I've got in my hands now, they've tucked in one of his future shocks that he did with Bellardinelli at the back of that rebellion trade, I think. Yes, that's in the in, in, in the print edition too. Uh, that, that story, Train, is actually um, Hebden's last work in 2080. Right. Ah, fascinating. So tell us, I mean, he's got all these different sort of themes that he's taken. We know he was interested in science fiction and he took some of these from other books and TV shows and films that he was familiar with. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you think about Alan Hebden's writing on this, uh, this fantastic strip for the early prog. I, I'd, li- I'd like to talk a little bit about influences, actually, because he mentioned one in the introduction to this book that that really sent me down a rabbit hole. Um, he oh. said he was in, he was influenced by the works of a, of a Cord Wainer Smith, who's oh, a right, um, yes. and a, a 20th century uh, science fiction author, um, the real name Paul Linebarger. Um, and he wrote stories that seem very familiar because they're, um, he wrote several stories about a, a far future society where humans are served by an underclass of beings that are genetically modified animals. Like there's a, there's a story called, uh, The Ballad of Lost Samel that's about a, uh, a cat woman that like has to deal with, uh, oppressive humans and stuff like that. It's very interesting. All right. So that's sort of like looking in there. It was like it was one of these things where I mean I appreciate having sort of calling out the influences, but one of these things like oh man, like this is uh, this is this helped inspire Meltdown Man pretty clearly for sure. Um, oh, he's definitely done his own spin on it. Like you said, um, this is such classic British comic stuff. Meltdown Man, this the uh, this classic construction. You know, we we've set things up. Here's some action. All the action leads up to a cliffhanger. Then the next story, we t- take care of the cliffhanger, move things forward. Then there's another cliffhanger. It means that it, it makes for breathless reading because things are constantly amping up. There's never there's m- maybe a pause, but that pause just leads. You know, it's just a a valley in another peak for the next part of the story. It's full of incident, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yes, it, it barrels along this story, and he does all this in sort of like four pages, sometimes five pages. But you know, it's uh, it's pretty quick stuff, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's very much like get in, get out. Like we get it, like we see the thing. Let's let's figure it out. Let's go. It's um, and yeah, like you said, it, it just it, it it goes from dams being destroyed to um, like oh we we've been cornered again to oh no I've got a mysterious alien plague <laughs> to um, you know it's amazing. Um, 
just all these things. I think one of my favorite uh, cliffhangers is just they they look out in the night and there's just a uh, like the road is uh, completely covered by uh, by impaled predator and predator Yuji corpses and stuff. It's like oh my god, and it's just that's it. Come back next time. Yeah, it's it's, it's gripping stuff. I mean, it's, I you know I loved Alan Hebden's writing on this. The way he does, as you say, classic British comics. You know, get in, solve last time's cliffhanger, move the story on a bit, or bring in a new you know a new set of characters, a new environment, and then another cliffhanger, and we're off again. It's just amazing, and I like what you say about his influences because I mean, obviously Matt Smith, current editor, uh, or should I say, editorial assistant to Tharg. Um, in his introduction for the Hachette collection, of course, he mentions the sort of Planet of the Apes, uh, both the movies and I think the TV shows, mm. where they very much had that sort of quest-like feel to it, you know, but each episode would be a new sort of story and then they'd move on a bit. Um, well, yeah, and just, I mean, this is spoilery, but just sort of the, uh, like, you know, having similar twists and things like that as well. Yes, from the, absolutely. From yeah. the first Planet of Apes to, uh, to Meltdown Man. And then, of course, you know, there's the... There's bits of the Jungle Book in there. I mean, I thought particularly, you know, the hypnotic snake-like car from the Jungle Book and Tiger Commander, mm. you could see him as a sort of sheer Khan character. I mean, he's a, yeah. you know, he's a fantastic character, Tiger Commander, isn't he? Yeah, friendly bears, it's all good. <laughs> friendly bears, all friendly bears. Uh, there's T-Bone, the bull man, you know, Gruff the wolf. Is it Scrap Heap? There's one that's all Slag Heap. There's one Slag, there. yeah. The, uh, the 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 Psychic Yeti. Psychic Excellent. Yeti, of course. Yes. <laughs> late late addition to the story. Yeah. There was um yeah yeah Kanita the the Eagle uh, Taka the Mongoose, which I like to lot just because I'm a uh, long term Ricky Ticky Tavi fan. Things there like that. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. You know the characters that are introduced. Uh, there's some really great characters, and they all get their own little sort of. They almost get their like their own little side quests as well in this uh, epic fantasy adventure, don't they? Yeah, this it, this is the part that that like besides just the map, this is the part that really makes it feel like a fantasy quest because it's like um, I mean it's 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 a similar thing to um, to Lord of the Rings, say, or something like that, where part of the story or uh, or more recently maybe like the uh, the the Wheel of Time or, or or Game of Thrones or something, where you start off and everybody's together. And then things happen, you have to split up, so you follow several plot lines all at once as everybody's doing their own thing and, and, and having their own adventures. And then you you come back together for the big finale, this sort of a, a, a confluential storytelling that I think is such a – for me, is so – I such an iconic part of i guess fantasy literature or just of like fantasy stories that everybody's got to go on their own and do their thing but then you come back everybody's changed a little bit you've learned some new things about yourself maybe some new abilities and then it's time for the final showdown yeah absolutely and you know as you say it's not just about nick stone he does have this memorable supporting cast and as you say they all then get split up and get their own little stories and uh, character developments going on Oh, oh no! Y- yes, there's uh, there's like Gruff who's out in the wilderness being pursued by uh, by, by 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 hound dog trackers. I love uh, T Bone's story because it's it's um, he's a he's a minotaur, but he's also been slightly possessed by the evil psychic psychic cobra King Seth. So the he's unwittingly carrying around this instrument of evil as he travels about, like enlisting of the other minotaurs to his to his aid and stuff. It's such a great. Uh, it's, it's also great. And then just um, Stone and Liana are out and they 
have to go through a deadly swamp. They get a disease that leads to character redesigns. It's good times. Yes, the meta plague. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, it's it's fantastic, isn't it? So Alan Hebden, he's writing these four or five pages. He does it for a year. It is, as you say, his major work, uh, probably his masterpiece for 2000 AD. But it is, it is 1980, 1981. Um, so it's still the early days of the prog. And of course, they're writing it for a sort of... Uh, a young or early teenage audience but i just wondered you know this is the question is is almost why do we do these podcasts <laughs> but wh- what is it about this stuff that's still so compelling to us all these years later you know is there something about it that attracts us particularly i mean i think especially for meltdown man there's so many elements of it i think there's something about a quest or about people going on these adventures that are really fun. They're really like they just sort of grab the imagination. You know, here's a here's a stranger in a strange land, but things are still fairly familiar. Um, and he's got a quest for uh, for justice and freedom. Those are universally appealing. I think, especially for Meltdown Man, just the uh, the Yuji's themselves, these um, animal human hybrids, are are really interesting. I think it's you know something that. Certainly in modern times have, have, have found their own fandom in certain ways. But I think for me, one of the, honestly, one of the, one of my favorite things about Meltdown Man, besides just the story itself, is all the, um, is just seeing what Bellardinelli is going to do next for these different, um, um, UG types. And he keeps tossing in new ones. Um, I remember like in the middle of the story, there, at they're on on a river and the river's just full of all these different um aquatic animal UGs. There's like platypus ones and things like that. Later they go to the uh to a to a a frozen area and there's like walrus ones and things. And I just remember always being like, oh what's gonna happen next? There's there's pirates and one of them's a giraffe UG and that's amazing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean I'm looking at the page when they're on the riverboat and as you say Bellardinelli's drawn duckbill platypus UGs on the bank wearing their uh, a bikini and a pair of speedos. <laughs> yeah, and just they're just there as an aside, you know, a little detail in in the sort of opening panel of one week's uh, strip, and it's just fantastic. And then later on, you get these little character UGs sort of in bars or on porches almost just sort of like watching the action go past them as the story goes past them. Yeah, they're very much. Just tossed in, but they still add so much to this world and just being interesting in, uh, in, in seeing things happen. Yeah. And is this the strip that introduces the word gorp into the 2000 AD lexicon? Yes, I think so. I, uh, I, I remember on Space Spinner finding gorp so confusing. No one explains what it means. I guess it just means a Yuji. Yeah. <laughs> People just start calling each other that, and I've got, and I have to like piece it together, I guess, because there's no like, no one ever sits down and says, um, "Well, it's actually an acronym for this" or something like that. It just sort of just starts showing off. It's like, okay, like fine, we're we're, we're calling each other this. <laughs> it uh, feels like another one of those, just like basically a fictional made up swear words in a way. Oh yes, that, uh, absolutely. You know, British, that comics, well, not just British comics, American comics and TV series get away with, you know fracking this and uh, <laughs> right that exactly yeah <laughs> so you've mentioned Bellardinelli's character design so let's turn to the artistic triumphs of Bellardinelli who must have been 
drawing his arm off for a year to produce this comic. So Absolutely. Here he is. We talked about him a little bit when uh, we did the first volume of Dan Dare way back on the first episode of Mega City Book Club, um, right from the very early days of the prog when it was thought it was going to be a Dan Dare comic for a while. Um, <laughs> yes. But, you know, we haven't done Ace Garp yet, but obviously, or Ace Trucking rather, but here we have, you know, possibly, would you say possibly the best thing or certainly one of the best things Bellardinelli did in the prog? Uh, it's hard to say. There's, there's so I, I really like Bellardinelli. I think he's a, such a great part, especially of, of of these early days of 2000 AD. I mean, before Meltdown Man, there was his work, especially on uh, Inferno and Blackhawk, that are really great. Yes. I, I mean, Blackhawk has a lot of similarities to to Meltdown Man. I think just in this sort of epic quest concept. Um, you know, you've got a similar sort of adventuring party and stuff like that that are sort of, you know, searching for Blackhawk Soul or whatever else. Um, and, then, and then after this, you've got um, Bellinelli doing doing Slain, doing Ace Trucking. Um, we've recently covered it on, on Space Spinner, but he's done The Dead, which I think is a really oh, momentous a story as well for his yes. art. Yeah. Um, just in terms of, of, I mean, different from, I mean, so different from Meltdown Man, which is so beautiful, the dead so disturbing, but I think it's also just a great example of his ability as an artist. Um, I think if, if not the best, this is certainly like his most momentous, just this ability to like, you know, to have this big, big, uh, paperback that's just got all of this, like just all of his ability in here feels so great. I mean, besides just the character design, there's also some just, the landscapes in this um, in Meltdown Man are amazing. These great cityscapes, full of uh, full of like UGs in the background, giant death copters flying into screen and things. It's so it's, it's really great. I remember um, when we when we talked about um, action comics, we looked at uh, Green's Grudge War and that and that had just like um, the uh, these World War II guys went to the fjords of Scandinavia and I remember those being very, feeling very meltdown man in their construction just because Bellardinelli drawing these just giant icy landscapes that that really reminded me of of uh, of where Nick Stone would end up at the end of the story. Yes, I mean it's fantastic stuff. I mean I. So I know Bellardinelli, I think, probably best from Ace Trucking. And, of course, yes. you know, used to him drawing in a sort of comical way for a comic. But here, he this is some of the most impressive stuff of his I've ever seen. And the more I look at it, the more detail I see that he's just thrown in the backgrounds and the, the panel designs. So we've got his UG character design. That, that in itself is breathtaking, the sort of the sheer you know, diversity and number of them that he's put in there. Mm -hmm. But as you say, he's got these cityscapes, he's got these weird buildings that sort of stand almost on a single pillar and then spread out above them, something almost like yes. Cloud City. He's got his fantastic death copters, his tanks, explosions. You mentioned earlier, you know, the dam bursting in an earlier episode. The the sort of some of his action pages are oh, yes. breathtaking, you know, to look at them. They're pretty terrifying sometimes too. Like the main the, the main weapon of Lee Shar is this like snip gun, which is a is a weapon that just sort of cuts things in half wherever it hits them. And there's a couple ones where it's like, yeah, just like a like like cutting someone off at the waist or in, in half down the middle or something like that. It's it's a pretty terrifying thing. 
Yes, and there's a character we're going to come to in just a moment who, in one panel I know, takes somebody's head off with an axe. Yes, uh, which is terrifying. <laughs> there's also there's also that great moment when they you sort of get a bit of backstory of how this world came to be. Um, oh yes, and there's a pat there's a page where it just says it's the end of the world where there's an asteroid strike, and the 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 sort of explosive apocalyptic stuff that he's done on that page um, and the detail on the waves and so on it's just it's tremendous isn't it massive um typhoons just engulfing cities and stuff um and and then afterwards like a a beautiful uh massive spaceship just flying over the uh the devastation it's 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 so great yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the stuff that really stood out for me from Bellardinelli in this, and uh, the more I looked at it. I mean, we should say, of course, we probably should mention this is all black and white in the pages of the prog, although we're probably looking on it on much better paper than it was ever printed on originally. <laughs> yes. Um, the only colour would be on the covers that we've, some of which we've mentioned. Of course, Bellardinelli did do covers for the prog of uh, Meltdown Man. But yeah, it's a black and white strip. But the black and white, wow, it just looks so great. Yeah, the the way it's used, I, I couldn't imagine it in color at this point. Like it's such it's so natively black and white and 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 don't take advantage of uh, of 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 what you can do with that um with that medium. It's 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 just a it's a really great thing. And I honestly I like I feel like the black and white just mi- gives it a retro feel that I think is really good for fantasy, I think, cuz it reminds me a lot of uh of other fantasy comics I've read, I guess, like a like, like Cerebus or something like that. I feel like those are supposed to be black and white more than they're supposed to be in color somehow. Yes. Yeah. I've just turned to the page which is an end of episode where Leeshar's in one of those chopper things those uh, helicopter death copter things um and he's saying look Yuji, feast your eyes on the magnificence of snow city as they oh yes in the, in the frozen wastes and the city in the you know in the rocks uh it's just you could you could hang that single page on the wall of an art gallery and it probably should be um, <laughs> you know it's wonderful stuff and to go back to the sort of the end of the world page where you've got i know there's those classic sort of japanese artists who do the wave pictures mm, yes it's sort of like that i don't know I, i'm probably going to get it wrong but hokkaido's the wave or something um and it's you know bellardinelli's version and it's just um <laughs> epic stuff absolutely and i like how in the in the welcome to snow city it's also got the background things earlier in the page these early ugs that are just giant rabbits plowing the fields and things yes <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's just the uh the, the wide range of stuff that, that that he's able to draw in the course of this comic is really amazing. So do you I mean from his character designs, um, you know, we know we're familiar with John Wagner, you know, always just handing character design to Carlos Escara. And here Alan Hebden obviously leaving this, I guess, a lot of it to Bellardinelli, and he does these wonderful UGs. Do you have any particular favorites from the UGs throughout the book? There's a couple ones I like just because I don't know. Like I, I like the idea of that being like an animal hybrid. I guess I re- like there's a there's some rhino men kind of later in the story that I like just because of the way he's drawn there, like a knobby skin that I think is a really interesting like a character development or like like way to show these characters. I suppose. Yeah. There's a section where I think I mentioned they meet these UG pirates. 
And yeah, it's like a rhino guy, a giraffe guy. I, I think there's a hippo guy later on. I like all these like big animals that have become that that, that have become human and are wearing like fancy clothes and things like that. Yes, um, but honestly, so many of them. Like I feel like I like if I start listing ones, I'll just be I'll just start thinking of and listing them all. Like all of the uh, all the desert UGs that have sort of had this Lawrence of Arabia look. Like led by by a by a camel UG, and there's um like a cheetahs and things like that that are th- that that run out there and are really cool. Although I think I, bar none, and this one's kind of silly. Um, I think my my very favorite one is when the character of Polax is introduced. He's got a bunch of renegades with him, and one of them is a uh, is a tapir. I think right, like this sort of sort of small trunked like a mammal kind of thing. And that just seems like such a random um, animal choice in general. And he's just like sort of short, standing off to the side. I'm like, yeah, that's my guy. Okay. <laughs> he knows what's going on. <laughs> so let's get to Polax, uh, another recurring villain in this epic sort of fantasy story. Um, and a marv- again, a marvelous bit of character design, this sort of renegade uh, polar bear Yuji, uh, who crops up several times through the through the story, and what's he got round his neck? He's sort of like three human skulls, I believe. Yes, something like that. <laughs> yes, um, and he comes back again and again to sort of uh, try and interfere or destroy stones plans for rebellion and so on. Um, he's, I mean, he's very much fighting his own. He's got his own agenda, Polax, hasn't he? Yes, and it's funny because it's one of these. He's got a really interesting arc where he sort of sh- starts off and he's very big and imposing and leading this group, and by the end, he's uh, Lee Shar's like whipping boy, basically, and just sort of begging for for any sort of scraps from this uh, from this evil human. It's sort of you know he sort of falls pretty hard by the end of the end end of the tale. Um, I mean, I've just turned over the page from. The end of one episode, the cliffhanger you mentioned with the predators skewered in their hundreds and you get this sort of weird, almost Spartacus road scene. And then the next page, you've got Polax, uh, first panel of the next episode, Polax in his cha- in his war chariot with his double-headed battle axe in his hand. And uh, Yes. Oh, it's, it's just tremendous stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, actually, if there's, um, if I have one big complaint about, about, about the, uh, the collected version, it's that, um, they don't have, um, they, they have two of the Meltdown Man covers, but they don't have the Polax cover in, 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 in here. No, why not? <laughs> I mean, I feel like it might just be like an oversight or something because it doesn't have like Meltdown Man in it or something. It's a very like sort of stark, just like Polax on their cover. But yes. I, I think it's a bummer because that's a really great, um, that's a really great, great cover. And so it's a, it's a shame to, to have it not be collected in here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the one where he's actually, he is in his war chariot. Sort yes. Of driving straight out of the panel with um, out of the way gorps, Polaxes coming through. <laughs> Uh, and that's fantastic. And you get, you know, the, again, he's got his uh, battle axe in his fist, um, the skulls around his neck. What a wonderful image! Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, if it, if it had Nick Stone on that pay, on that cover, you'd have thought they'd have used that one for the cover. I'd have thought. But oh uh, yes, yeah, you could definitely see that. So Conrad, um, heads up. Now this, the lowest form of comic criticism is who would win in a fight. 
<laughs> but I, I am going to stoop that low because you and I have discussed the other rampaging killer polar bear in the history of 2000 AD. So, That's right. So, Conrad, Polax versus Shaco, who wins? My answer is complicated. All oh, right. Good. <laughs> I mean, the uh, I mean, po- Polak's honestly uh, rarely wins in these fights, at least long term. You know, whereas po- uh, Sh- uh, Shaco always wins. So it is one of these Eddie Murphy kind of things where uh, where if I star in the movie, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you up, but otherwise I'm probably gonna lose. Yep. <laughs> but but I but this is a this is an excellent land uh, uh, launch pad for my personal fan theory. Oh, okay. And and I'm glad you brought up uh, the the Jungle Book earlier. Because I don't know if you recall, but the uh, in the Disney movie Robin Hood, they brought back the uh, they, you know Little John's a bear in that movie, yeah. and they brought back the same uh, voice actor as the one that was a uh, Baloo in the Jungle Book. Of course, yes. And so, and so, I believe actually in the credits it says like Baloo the bear as as Little John. Ah, right. And so my my fan theory is that. Um, <laughs> You know, is uh, through the magic of a of a of a thrill power, and this is sort of a similar thing to like like an ace and an ace trucking in a in, in one of the ace trucking stories after Ace Garf has died, Tharg brings it back to life by pulling him out of a filing cabinet, which is full of all of the unused 2000 AD characters. Yeah, <laughs> so in, in this case, they've uh, they've grabbed Shaco and just put him back in um, in the pages of Meltdown Man, giving him a second run at, uh, at at glory. So indeed, Polax is Shaco, just sort of, but they put some clothes on him and and, and had him talk this time. <laughs> right. Ah, uh, okay. So that's where it comes from. Tharg's drawer of of uh, yes, yeah. Characters. There's. <laughs> There's Blackhawk in there. He's all salty. You know, the fiends of the Eastern Front are flying around and stuff. It's it's good times. But yeah, I just like because they're both polar bears and stuff, it just feels right that, um, you know, their connection, like they don't fight their brothers. They might even be the same person, you know. I love it. Fantastic. (laughs) So Blackhawk becomes Aquila, presumably later on. Certainly possible. And is Polax the only polar bear to feature on the cover of the prog? I, I think so. I yeah. think he must be, yes. <laughs> uh, Maybe there's one in a background sometime or something like that, but they're definitely um Shaka was in the age of the uh of the future scan covers, so I don't yes. think so. There, 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 there wasn't really a chance for him to ever be on there. Oh dear. Fantastic. But you know, two great polar bear stories in the early <laughs> years of two thousand AD. Absolutely. Um, I should just say, while we're talking about the wonderful Massimo Bardin- Bellardinelli. A bit like Alfred Hitchcock in his films, he usually makes a cameo appearance himself. And I think he crops up a couple of times in Meltdown. Oh, yes. There's one, I think he's on, an, he's on a wanted poster early on in the story. And then later on, there's a sort of Nick Stone is in an improbable disguise going through uh, Snow City Customs or something like that. Yes, it's the, it's the classic comic book disguise of a, of, of a trench coat and a fedora, basically. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it makes you unrecognizable, of course. You know, even if you're like a ninja turtle or something, no one can see you. It's it's no excellent. Can see you. <laughs> um, but Bellardinelli is there in the sort of um, uh, departure yes. hall, I think. Possibly, yes, absolutely. Bellardinelli with him as well. Wow! If so, I I, I envy her haircut because yeah. that is uh, incredibly tall. She got in, like her, her hair is standing up as high as her own head. It's excellent. That's what you call an updo, isn't it? 
Definitely. I think this is when I really started noticing Bellardinelli cameos in, in, in his work in 2000 AD. Um, just because at some point it was like, this, this bearded bald guy keeps showing up. Like, what's going on here? I was like, oh, I see. <laughs> Fantastic. So, I mean, you know, it is uh, breathtaking work. And actually, you know, the pages do deserve close study because some of them are just uh, magnificent works of art, which, again, as I've said, he was he must have been churning these out at a considerable rate. I don't know how far in advance of the of the strip um, Steve McManus had to start him off drawing this stuff in order to get him to do it for a whole year. But uh, it is incredible, isn't it? Yes, he very like I I I haven't read any any interviews with him or know his his style, but he definitely seems like no matter what he's drawing, I always feel like Bellardinelli is can be counted on for these amazing character designs, detailed backgrounds, almost always, um, and just things that 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 are full and 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 just, just situations that are full of life that happens going on in in the background. You know, there's never. You're, you're never just in an empty an, an, an empty street in his drawings, I guess. There's always people doing th- – like there's always life continuing elsewhere in, in, in the background. Things makes things, things feel very lively and lived in, which I think is, a, is an excellent thing for, uh, for, for comics art. Yes, it never looks like he's given himself um, an easy time, making it easy for himself. It's all, you know, <laughs> no. each panel is bursting with background detail, isn't it? Yes, and I, but I think – but some, so, somehow this just must be easy for him, I guess, or I guess something so, like yes. that. Because I mean, because I was I was thinking um, in 1986, um, a few years after this, of course, um, there are these two massive Ace Trucking stories that are all are, are all consecutive. There's a, like maybe three or four weeks in between them, but uh, like the the Doppelgarp stories, 26 episodes is a Hollywood story. That's also 26 episodes. Like if those two had been back to back, that would have been the longest continuous, like artist writer, Ah, uh, uh, a contribution almost. But um, it just seems like he, he just seems like a steady hand, I guess you can just sort of have him go and he'll give you four pages of detailed artwork, like, like clockwork. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Just keeps, uh, just keeps doing it and, uh, sending them over from Italy, presumably, uh, <laughs> the post arriving every week. Well, you know, what wonders. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Just, just to think of the, of the of requirements for it is, is mind boggling for I sure. Know, yes. So, you know, it was fantastic times for the prog. We, we were fortunate to have such a combination of writer and artist together with Jack Potter's lettering and Steve McManus's editor, even though uh, Alan Hebden didn't like the title. But <laughs> it, it can't all be smooth sailing, you know? No, exactly. As you say, 40 years later, they're sitting next to each other still grumbling about it. <laughs> Uh, although I think Steve McManus, as you say, in the pages of the Mighty One, has admitted that he was probably wrong on that one. It's an interesting thing, yeah. These these titles. I know um, in in his book, Pat Mills talks a lot about the nature of of uh, titling stories and things. I think it's an interesting concept of just like it's. Um, he he kind of makes a point about wanting about it, it it being better to call stories after characters as opposed to concepts. I guess. Yeah. Like he, that's why uh, that, that's what's why originally it's called invasion, but when it comes back, it's called savage. You know, things of that nature. <laughs> ah, right. Okay, and that would probably explain. Uh, you know, obviously, slain and nemesis, but also Charlie's War, I guess. 
Yeah, exactly. It's just it's, um, having things be personal so you get an idea of it. He kind of talks about it in terms of, of inaction, of not liking the title of, uh, of the running man, for instance, because once he stops running, then the, then the comic's over. What, what can you do, you know? Yeah, sure. Interesting stuff. Okay, so there it is. It's, you know, we've sort of, uh, or, you know, we've amused ourselves sort of like in a breathless run through uh, Meltdown Man. If you want to know more details about the actual story and some of the big twists in it, then I would recommend the Space Spinner 2000 collection, which should be out very soon, I guess. Or Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I'm, 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 I'm timing it out. We're, I'm doing a big run of collections. Should have this one and some and some um, uh, maybe more uh, universally famous um, um, 2080 stories in, in, the, in, in the coming group. Very excited for it. Excellent. So before we ask you the Grail Page game, what about favourite episodes? Because it is, you know, in a way, an episodic story with different, uh, lots of different settings. As he, you know, Nick Stone travels yes. through this world, lots of different adventures, lots of different side quests. Um, any <laughs> particular favourites from throughout the book? I have a couple. Uh, I think my fa- um, so, some of my favorites are when uh, Stone and Liana get the Meta Plague when they're in the uh, in, oh, like, yes. in in this big swamp of despair. It makes their their hair grow exponentially. They become like big uh, um, cousinettes, basically, uh, and they have to keep and they have to keep eating to to quell the flame. And so at the end, it means that. Um, it's just really funny because you also get to see a lot of these swamp UGs that are different animals than we've seen previously. And in the end, lets you, lets them sort of redesign them midway through. So it allows Liana to have long hair suddenly, Nick Stone to have a beard and things like that. I think are, are, are interesting, are, 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 are better looks for those characters, actually. Yes. As you say, allows for a character redesign, which is great stuff. Yeah. Yes. Um, then I think the next one would be when they go to this waterfall place and, um, we see Yuji's trying to earn their freedom by going over the falls in a barrel, which is very like both funny and sad just in terms of like the impression of the Yuji's and stuff and leads to a Titanic boat chase and Stony Lana going over this falls in a speedboat and things. That's just a great, a great set piece, basically. Yeah, that is a wonderful moment. And, it, you know, as you say, the appalling treat, uh, treatment of the UGs, uh, who just uses this terrible sort of spectator sport for the um, the rich uh, humans who are just like you know, jetting around in their speedboats and their uh, helicopters watching these terrible things as UGs plunge to their death over the hell's drop. Definitely. And then I think my, my last one is when T-Bone and a Tiger Commander arm wrestle, because that's just ridiculous. But also a good, a good who would win in a fight kind of question, honestly. Absolutely. <laughs> just- and I do, I, I must admit, I do love the characters of T-Bone and Tiger Commander. Tiger Commander is such a wonderful villain throughout. Um, and so seeing them match up at the end for this arm wrestling contest, um, and some reversals and bits and pieces that's going on there. Yeah, it's great. Um, I love Tiger Commander. Oh, oh he's so fantastic. I, um, I know he's one of Fox's favorite as well. My my my, my co-host on Space Spitter. Like he's definitely one of the, one of these one of these reoccurring villains that that's really left a mark on our show in terms of like high points of characters. <laughs> it is. It is a high point. The whole book is. Yeah. I mean, it's just fantastic. Do you have any favorite episodes of the story? I just love, as you say, I just love when they change the scene. I love when you get to Snow City. I love when you're in the frozen wastes. But, you know, Plague Mire, the swamp where I think they mm. get the meta plague. Yes. That's fantastic. I'm particularly taken by that episode, which is, as I say, a bit like all the Roman 
the slave rebe- rebels in Spartacus all being sort of uh, crucified, where the they just sort of like stake them out on the road. Yes, it's particularly memorable and sort of like rather shocking in a way for a kids' comic from nineteen. <laughs> Definitely, presumably that was about nineteen eighty. I would have guessed or nineteen eighty one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's memorable. But yeah, anytime Tiger Commander turns up, he's fantastic. Um, I just love him as a character. He, he's, he's so well. yeah, so great and. Uh, He's a he, he's a real Darth Vader, even down to uh, to redeeming himself in the end and stuff. Which it's great stuff. It is, yes, yeah. He gets a character sort of uh, moment towards the end, and I'm just looking at the page with uh, some of the Rhino UGs. Um, one of them's on the boat, who for some reason appears to be wearing sort of like Elizabethan or Shakespearean costume. Like, <laughs> They're pirates. They're pirates. <laughs> that's, that's what they wear. That's the answer. <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, it's wonderful. So Conrad, the re- you know I say this for most books, but it is a really difficult choice for a Grail page from Meltdown Man. But as ever, limitless budget, all the artworks available, including the various covers. What are you going to pick? Uh, I was I was agonizing over this. I must say, like I had so many different um, big choices that I really wanted to that I, I, I had to really decide. I think. For one, I've got to pick the uh, the the map, which appears sort of early in the story. The thing I I love about it is, um, like a lot of fantasy maps, it does what you said actually with the with the scene changes that it lays out basically a list of places that we can go to and see what's going on there. Essentially, yeah, like. What's the, what's, you know, what does the metal smith city mean? What's snow city? What's that like? You know, and then, then it's also got, beside, um, it's, 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 it's got panels with close ups of all of the different, uh, main party members sort of saying things. And then just these very classic, like, uh, um, old map sort of conventions, you know, uh, uh sailing ships. There's a, there's a, a narwhal frog combo and a compass rose with a big um, octopus on it, things like that. Um, it just really sets the scene of uh, of Meltdown Man so well. Yes, it is fantastic. I mean, I'm looking at double page spread now, and uh, I know we mentioned before when we were talking about doing Meltdown Man on the podcast that any book uh, or story that has a map page just like gets a plus one straight away, doesn't it? Oh yes, yeah. It 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 makes it like. It- an, an epic quest. That's what you have to have, no matter what. <laughs> you have to have a map in it. But I think for my other, um, if, if if you would if you would uh, honor me with a second Grail page, oh, of I guess. Course, yes. I think it it, it might just be um, in the second episode. Uh, Lee Shar and uh, and and Stone fly into this city on one of the death copters. And there's this massive cityscape, like in the middle is this, is this death, like, like a helicopter covered in skulls. And you see like the shanty town of the UGs below and above this massive plateau. And then this giant gleaming city of, um, it's, it's so futuristic with flying buttresses and, uh, giant, uh, uh, buildings piled on top of each other and stuff and a huge monorail leading in and out and things. It's, so, it's such a great, just sci-fi image. I, that I, I think it's, it's, it's one of my favorite ones in the whole story. I'm looking at it now and it is a beautiful page and so beautifully framed by Bellardinelli. 
in that we're looking from behind the helicopter. Beautiful perspective, as you say, the sort of rising city of the elites and then below it, the shanty towns. And then of the way he's sort of like framed it around with little panels above and below. It's just gloriously done for, you know, something that was going to be printed on bog paper at the time. <laughs> but thank goodness we can see it now on better paper uh, or on the, yes. uh, our computer screen. So that's wonderful. Yes. Yes, I love his landscapes. It's one of these things where it's it's something I'm always anxious for. We 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 recently covered uh, his uh, uh, Mean Team stuff, which is another sort of like Mean Team Two as sort of fantasy elements. And I just kept, and that's not a great story, but I just kept waiting to to, to finally get some sort of like, all right, like get to a city so we can get this landscape shot shot. And they finally did, and I was like, ah, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could I could look at Bellardinelli's. Uh black and white drawings of cities, you know, fantasy cities all day. They are wonderful, yes. this one. So I'll post that image. And uh, what a grail page have you have you, pages have you selected for yourself for the giant art wing of the Mega City Book Club? Yes, that's right. This ever-expanding <laughs> art wing of uh, the book club. I was very tempted by the end of the world page mm. where the asteroid hits the planet and um, the waves and the destruction. But I'm actually going to go for a page a little bit earlier in the book. It is the Rockets Away page from the Hell's Drop chapter. So you've got this uh, waterfall where Yuji's plunged to their deaths. You've got some sort of like paddle steamer boat. I guess it's like the Maid in the Mist at uh, Niagara Falls, that boat that sort of mm. takes uh, you know tourists to look at the, uh, the action up close. Right. And then there's a sort of death copter coming in to blow it away. You've got Tiger Commanders on the page. You've got a bit of Nick Stone at the top of the page in a, in a speedboat <laughs> going over the falls. And just the sort of epic explosion at the bottom of the page as the, uh, mm -hmm. the death copter rockets away at this sort of <laughs> tourist craft. It's just fantastic. So I think I'm going to pick, I think I'm going to stick with that page, although I do look enviously towards the end of the world page as well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, fantastic. Uh, I mean, there's th there's so many great ones. I mean, even just like uh, the the final page of the story, um, where he sort of reflects on the past and things, is also a really amazing one. I think of just a a good sum up of 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 Meltdown Man in general as well. Yeah, it is. It's great stuff, you know. And as I say, I did particularly enjoy. I mean, you know, hats off to Alan Hebden's writing, but Bellardinelli's artwork is just stupendous. And to yes. have this run in for a whole year, you know. Good times, as you would say, Conrad. <laughs> indeed. I, as, as I would, indeed. <laughs> Great. So, Meltdown Man is available from the 2000 AD online store in that Rebellion trade paperback for $13.99. It's $9.99 digitally. You can still get the Hachette uh, Ultimate Collection hardback for $9.99. That is book 43 uh, in the series. It was issue... 25 in the rather confusingly way they're numbered hmm. but anyway they are still out there i think on the hashet site so you can i believe the uh the e extreme editions are available as well sorry to interrupt no that's right yeah the extreme editions are both available on the 2000 ad site as well so yeah lots of ways to get hold of meltdown man fortunately um and do get in touch if you've had a look at it after listening to either space spinners collection or this episode or this episode as well yeah, it's a great story it's it's from this um from this era of 2000 AD, that's that's sort of pre-golden age. I, I 
I, I, I call it aura. I, uh, like my name for it is, is the steady state, this era of 2000 AD, which is right at, right at the end of the judge child and like going into, um, what, what will eventually be the golden age where you really have just the same, maybe four, four thrills running for like half a year. It's just like dread, meltdown man, return to Armageddon and mean arena with maybe other things mixed in there. Some strontium dogs, some future shocks, other things, but it was this really steady slate of thrills for a pretty extended period of time. And it's when meltdown man ends that we start seeing the, 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 the golden age thrills really start to come in, you know, within a few weeks, rogue trooper premieres, ace trucking premieres, block mania begins, things like that. It's an interesting transitional time in 2000 AD. You know, so many golden ages for 2000 AD, but this, Indeed. this was one of them, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, to me, I just like, if just based on, 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 on what we've covered in 2000 AD, I kind of sort of mark it as like block mania to Tharg's head revisited as sort of this big, like four year golden age of 2000 AD, I guess. But meltdown, but that's not to say that there aren't amazing stories before and after. And meltdown, man, it's definitely one of the, one of those. Excellent stuff, Conrad. Thanks as ever for giving up your time to be on the podcast and for choosing it. Um, it's guest projects. I'm hoping that all of my listeners are familiar with Space Spinner 2000, the podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the galaxy's greatest comic one month of progs at a time. Um, Indeed. Did I get that right? Yes, with frequent guest appearances by the Megacity Book Club's own Amy Clark. Yes, I've been on there a few times, and so have several other, you know, 2000 AD fans. Fair amount of cross-pollination between these podcasts, for sure. Absolutely. Now, this episode, I've got a reasonably quick turnaround, so this will be out in a couple of weeks' time, at the end of October. Um, What's happening with Space Spinner 2000 at the moment? Where, Where are you up to? Oh, it'll be our 180th episode. Very exciting. 180 wow. years of Space Spinner 2000. Um, but we'll be in uh, in the uh, in the 570s. So we we've just finished Oz um, the the week before the uh, the uh, Judge Red Mega Epic Oz. We've got so Dred's fighting a hitman. It's the uh, it's the final Carlos Escara um, penned. Episodes of Strontium Dog for many years, the start of Summer Magic, and we've got both SMS and Simon Bisley doing ABC Warriors. It's a really strong, like, fun time in, uh, in, in 2000 AD. Oh, it's just, you know, the hits keep on coming, don't they? It's really great. Like, man, I'm, I'm really loving this. Uh, like, 88, I've got some trepidation for this year, but so far it's been really amazing. Just Oz has been a really fun time for me and Fox. We've been really uh, uh, just, just cheering along with it. And it's, you know, now we're done, but uh, there's still so much amazing stuff to go. I know Fox has been really blown away by, by Simon Bisley's ABC Warriors as well. Yes, you know, amazing stuff. What a, what a way to announce yourself to the world as an artist. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. And he just sends in a drawing to Tharg of a, a robot holding a baby. And then, you know, next thing we know, he is a comic superstar. It's enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and tell us, what plans have you got for the Judge Dread magazine when you get to that and some of the other specials uh. and annuals? Well, I, I, I guess first, just in terms of chronology, next week, um, on, on the show, we, we will be basically just taking a week off from Prague's because in 1988, they've added more specials. We'll, we'll just have a week that's just going to be like the 2080 sci-fi, sci-fi special and the, and the new Judge Red Mega special. Uh-huh. And, and we'll cover both of those. Then later in the year, the annuals and at the end of the year, 
the new winter special, which should all be pretty interesting. Just more additions to this 2080 uh, uh, slate. For the magazine, I mean, you know, we're in like spring of 1988, so it's still a little early <laughs> to talk too much about the Meg, I guess. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely planning to cover it. On, it'll, it'll, it'll be its own show, but it's, I, I, I can't talk about details yet just because it doesn't, I, I feel like it, it, it doesn't do any good to tease too much, um, for something. It should be, but we should get there in like late summer of 2020, which still feels like a science fiction date to me, I must say. <laughs> like that's when you could set your, your, your post-apocalyptic, um, a Mad Max movie or, or something where there's a moon base, I guess, in 2020, but instead it's just next year. Yeah. <laughs> yes. How can that be, Conrad? I don't know, but uh, but we it's it's definitely in in the cards. I've got some things working on. I'm I'm super excited to talk about the Meg. Um, it should be just an interesting uh, some interesting topics and some interesting work, just in comparison to the uh, to the month by month of 2000 AD. Just to may- maybe just do single single issue episodes and things. It should be a lot of fun. Fantastic. And of course, 89 and 90 to come. And I'm not going to mention it, but there is something coming up. And we're all sort of itching to hear how Fox gets on with it. But, you know, if people know what I'm talking about, let's keep it a secret. Keep keep it spoiler free for Fox. Yeah, come on. Be cool, you guys. <laughs> come on. Jeez. Uh, OK, like we we. We managed to keep both uh, both Ben ninety and and, uh, and the box and bad company a secret. And even if they ended up not being super, I feel like we can all work together and uh, surprise Fox with this with, with, with upcoming stories. All right, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you've also covered some other um, classic British comics. In you've done action from the nineteen seventies in your Space Spinner reaction episodes, and uh, I, I was very very honored to be on the one where you did the um the kids rule okay cover uh, the carlos cover and i was on for that one have you got any plans to do any other of the british comics coming up yes i mean it's just been um it's been hard to sort of um um, um figure out logistically but i really do do I really would love to cover at, at least the red, like more uh, 2000 AD related British comics, uh, Star Lord and Tornado, Dice Man, maybe even Crisis someday. They're all sort of these stories on my list that I'd really love to 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 to, to take time and 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 figure out how to talk about them. I mean, action was so was such an interesting um, um, discussion, and and thank you for coming on for that. Of course, I mean. Just talking about what these stories actually were has really changed my perspective on those early days of um, of 2000 AD and of sort of of how we talk about the stories of these comics as well. Yes, yeah, fascinating stuff. And just one other quick rumor. I mean, we heard on the 2000 AD Thrillcast from I guess it was from New York Comic Con. Was it that the Garth Ennis is going to be doing or is going to be writing for a battle? special for 2018 in rebellion next year in 2020 but i also hear today because we've got the lakes comic festival going on at the moment and i i hear a rumor that there may be an action comic special next year as well <laughs> yes you may get the return of um dredger or as dredger. You might- <laughs> and possibly garth ennis might be writing some um hellman of Hammerforce as well that's amazing. I um I'd love to see like a 21st century dredger. That's got to be so ridiculous. 
<laughs> so there's so many, so many new ways to just terrifyingly torture someone in the course, or or or, or do ridiculous violence in um in 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 the modern day. Um, man, one time Dredger was fighting this, these guys and they had a helicopter and he shot the, the rotors off the top of the helicopter and the rotors went flying into the bad guys. It was crazy. Yes. But I don't know. Uh, it's just... Um, just another day at work for Dredger. Indeed. And then, the, um, you know, I feel like from, t- from doing the show, Helmet of Hammer Force, I mean, one... Mike Dory is an amazing artist who, who um, has started showing up a little. I've 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 seen my social media and stuff. And he's doing amazing stuff even now. But um, his work in in Hammer Force was so great and just this this dark gritty uh, um, tale. But it's also I feel like if you go through our reaction episodes, especially when we ha- when I have um, guest hosts on and stuff, everybody wants to like we always have a fifteen minute conversation about Helmet of Hammer Force and just. The nature of this um, heroic German soldier, I guess, in the course of uh, World War II. And he's a very interesting character, and I'm really, I'm really excited to see what what Ennis does with with him because he's so good at drawing these sort of conflicted, you know, characters you aren't quite sure about and things like that. I think he could, he could do a really interesting job with it. Fantastic. Uh, interesting times to be a fan of these early British comics. We've just had a 13th floor special come out for Halloween over here. Maybe some uh, battle action stuff next uh, next year. And, of course, action comics possibly as well. So, you know, oh, yes. interesting times. And, of course, if people haven't uh, picked up on Space Spinner 2000 yet, where can they find you, Conrad? You can find us at spacespinner2000.com. That's where we are. That's our home website. You can spit, you can uh, find all of our, all of our episodes there. Um, we're also on yours, on all your standard, uh, 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 podcast places, wherever you're listening to Mega City Book Club. I'm, I'm sure you can find Space Spinner 2000. Um, and we're on the 2008 forums and various Facebook, f- Facebook groups and on Twitter at Space Spinner 2K as well as, uh, um, we're Space Spinner 2000 on, on Instagram. Excellent stuff, Conrad. And once again, thanks for coming on. Anything else you want to plug or mention while you're here? I get um, the big thing I'm doing right now is a Droctober, which should still be running um, when, when this episode comes out, which is just a uh, an 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 Inktober type event, but related to uh, Judge Dredd and his world. Uh, there's still a chance to get in. Just uh, you know, find the prompt list, do some drawings, and draw them Droctober. You know, if I can do it with my chicken scratch drawings, anybody can for sure. <laughs> Uh, it's fantastic stuff. Yes, that's from Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD. So look for the hashtag, hashtag Droctober or hashtag Droctober 2019, and you'll find all the various uh, contributions, both art and story. And I've done a couple myself as well. I've managed. Yes. Uh, not many, but a couple. So <laughs> <laughs> including including I did a terrible Walter the Wobots, but there you go. Please hey, any, <laughs> anything Walter the Wobots sort of in, inherently terrible, you know, that's just sort of how it goes. <laughs> inherently yeah that's what i meant to say anyway (laughs) yes if you've missed that then just uh, look for the hashtag and you'll see all the wonderful stuff that's been done so yeah great stuff splendid 
Thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find out more at our site, megacitybookclub.com. Uh, you can find the podcast like Space Spinner 2000 on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the 2080 forums, and also on Spotify. And get in touch by emailing me at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com or go to spacespinner2000.com for all the information you need and more. Yes. So until next time on Mega City Book Club, when we're passing judgment on another fine 2000 AD book, it's time for goodbyes. So from me, it's goodbye. And from Conrad. Splendig Verthrig, Earthlets. 